awakened spirits of the walls and beyond. It was a dull, rain-soaked summer's day in Derry. A sizable crowd was gathered at St Columba's Well at the foot of the city's famous walls. Named after St Columba, the patron saint of the city who had built the well there centuries before, its water nourished the early settlers. And from this deep, narrow hole, the small village had expanded out to what it is today. The well was the city's core, its symbolic beating heart. It was St Columba's feast day, June 9th, and the crowd had gathered to collect water from the well. It was about to be blessed by the parish priest, a yearly tradition. In the crowd stood Aoife, 18 years old, and her mother Magella. Although all eyes were pointed at the priest, Aoife felt that something was watching her. She felt an uneasiness making her want to leave even more. She didn't like being at the well. She never did. Not since her father had died there a few years before. He had been walking home from a staff do just before Christmas when he slipped on the ice and banged his head. He lay and he bled to death, alone, just two minutes from their house. Aoife had never fully believed the events of that night. None of it made sense to her. She thought foul play was involved, but she realised this may have just been grief stopping her from accepting what had happened. But the presence she felt now was sinister. It couldn't be her father's. He was a good man. He always protected her. But this felt threatening. When she was a child, her mother had filled her with tales of a spirit that used to roam around the area. Apparently the ghost of a prostitute, murdered by an unhappy punter in the 17th century. She was then stuffed down the well by him. Her body apparently still lying at the bottom of it. It was complete nonsense, of course. Every city had a story like that. A story used to keep children in place when they misbehaved. And it had worked with a young Aoife who slept with the light on at night for two weeks when she first heard it. Her father even had to lie beside her on some of those nights to settle her down. These memories were distant in Aoife's mind as her eyes now scanned around the well. But all she could see was gravel and loose stones, grey and boring. Maybe her mind was playing tricks. Maybe it was too soon for her to be back here. As the priest wrapped up his sermon and made his way from the well, the crowd rushed towards it with their bottles, buckets, or whatever else they'd brought, all wishing to gather some newly blessed holy water. They would cast it round their house in the hope it would keep away unwanted spirits, bless vehicles with it to protect their drivers from accidents, or just keep it for peace of mind. A placebo for safety. Aoife's mother panics that there may be no holy water left if they don't hurry. She asks her daughter to go fetch some. Aoife is not impressed as she trudges towards the well, sulking, but wanting to get the mundane task over with as quickly as possible, which proves difficult as a queue has now formed. As Aoife lines up behind some eager away peas, she again feels like she's being watched. She looks around, but again there is nothing. As she stares, the rhythmic sound of the rain hitting the well water heightens. She wants to see something. She will see something. With Aoife's focus so intent on what is, or isn't, in front of her, she forgets what may be behind her. 
a voice whispers. Do you know what they did to me? Aoife freezes in fear. She knows she couldn't have misheard this. It was clear as day. She does not want to turn round to see who or what has uttered these words. She stands still for what feels like a lifetime, trying to catch her breath until she finally musters the bravery to do so. When she turns, Aoife is greeted by the smiling face of a kind-looking elderly woman. The voice couldn't have come from her. Aoife's reached the front of the queue without realising. She walks towards the well and stares down the deep, dark abyss. She has a vision of bloated arms flailing on the surface of the blood-red water and some poor soul struggling for air. Watch you don't fall in, says Maeve, a young girl who has also fallen a bottle at the well. This snaps Aoife from her trance. She is embarrassed, but Maeve seems kind and understanding. They stand there talking for a few moments, with Maeve doing most of it. She says she's only come to the ceremony because her father's working and her mother needed the company. Aoife awkwardly confirms that hers is a similar situation. As they talk, Aoife realises that this is the most anyone her own age has spoken to her in a long time. She's kept to herself so much that Maeve is even surprised to find out that they go to the same school. Yet it is Aoife who is most shocked when Maeve tells her that her and a few friends are going for drinks the following night and she'd like Aoife to come. Later that night, Aoife lies in bed, thinking of her encounter with Maeve, and it gives her great comfort. Maybe this could be a new start. After all the gloom and darkness, she drifts off to sleep and thinks she's been awoken by her father returning from his taxi shift. But of course it couldn't be him. She falls into a lucid dream about him. He seems in pain. A bone protrudes from his neck. There's a deep welt in his head which gushes with blood. He moves closer, his face growing more and more inhumane, the skin melting off his bones. His fists tighten in anguish. He is screaming at Aoife, warning her, but she can't make out what he's saying. He suddenly lunges at her, and it's then that she is awoken from her nightmare. The next day, Aoife finally musters the courage to ask her mother can she go out. She's timid about it. Her mother is guilty that her daughter feels this way, just wanting to go out with people her own age, and she encourages it. Magella knows that her daughter has been spending too much time in the house with her and that she needs to get out and live her own life. The past six months have been hard. It's time for Aoife to have a fresh start. The dumbly lit bar is quiet and intimate, with only a few stragglers scattered around. Aoife and Maeve sit in the corner chatting. It's just the two of them. Maeve apologises for her friends not making it. She says they cancel last minute all the time. Secretly, Aoife doesn't mind though. She likes that it's just the two of them. It's given her more time to get to know Maeve and not be drowned out in a crowd. She likes everything about Maeve. Her vantage style, her humour, how opinionated she is. She refuses to back down on the fact that all boys are creeps. Aoife can't tell if she's joking or not, but she doesn't care. She likes being around her. She makes her feet accepted. Maeve remembers that Aoife said her father was a taxi man and asks could he lift them later. Aoife likes Maeve but feels it isn't time to tell her about his death yet. She doesn't want to ruin the mood. They decide to walk home together on this cold, dark night. When they reach the well a while later, Maeve asks Aoife if she would be alright crossing it alone. 
especially this late at night. Aoife says she'll be fine. They embrace and tell each other that they both enjoyed their night before Maeve makes her own way home, leaving Aoife alone. Again. An almost full moon casts its ethereal blue light across the housing estates surrounding the well. It is eerily silent. The vast rising neighbourhoods of council houses that surround Aoife are filled with people who were safe in their homes after dark, not taking their chance with the dangers that night brings, especially at the well. Aoife could walk round it, avoid it, but she doesn't want to. She wants to feel close to her father, so she makes her way towards the spot where he died. A cold wind cuts through her, but it gives her a strange satisfaction, as if it's a sign that he's there with her. Again, Aoife gets the feeling she had earlier that day, that there's eyes on her, but this time she is comforted. Could it be him? She kneels down and places her hand on the ground, whispering, I miss you, Daddy. She then takes a moment to herself, as if waiting for a reply. She goes to turn and respond to the sinister voice behind her, but it is too late. Magella sits at her kitchen table, smoking a cigarette. A month has passed. Do you understand everything I've said, Mrs. Meenan? asks Father Doherty. Although she seems catatonic, Magella nods. Aoife's memorial mass is coming up. It's been a month since she killed herself at the well. Magella cannot believe that her daughter would do this. No parent could. She was too young, had too much ahead of her. It was only now she even begins to doubt her husband's death also. Those circumstances were strange too, after all. She says this to Father Doherty, who believes that she is emotionally exhausted and confused after so much grief. He says the mass may be a bit too soon, but Magella stands firm in her assertion that someone, or something, had harmed her daughter. She begs Father Doherty to ask the girl who was with her that night, in the hope she would have more information. Father Doherty's face drops. He has answered these questions before. Mrs. Meenan, there was no other girl that night. The police checked the CCTV and it was just Aoife talking to herself. She was obviously very distressed at this point. Do you understand everything I've said, Mrs. Meenan? Magella reluctantly agrees and sees Father Doherty out. She lifts the bottle of holy water beside the door that Aoife collected for her and blesses her home with it, hoping to keep evil away, not knowing that the well is exactly where the corruption dwells and where her husband and daughter are now trapped forever. In the Well was written by Shan Coyle, performed by Roma Harvey, original music by Colin Norby, sound design by Brogan Wakeley. Thank you for listening to Awakened Spirits of the Walls and Beyond.